black, proud, independent, determined, educated, resilient, compassionate, batty, funny, quirky, unique, creative, thoughtful, sincere, loyal, gutsy, vibrant, resourceful, imaginative, engaging, fabulous, awesome. Those are all words that describe me, the Brick City Brown Chick. Welcome to my podcast, What I Know Now. Thanks for listening. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to What I Know Now. This is episode three, and I am your host, the Brick City Brown Chick. Today, we'll be talking about a subject that's become a real hot button the last couple of years for people in my age group, the Gen X and the Millennials. And I've even heard some boomers talking about this, and it is friendships. How our friendships have changed and morphed as we've aged. Um, finding that we no longer have things in common with people we used to have lots of things in common with, and frankly, how you cope with all that and how you deal with it, how you end friendships, how you know when it's time to end a friendship, and what's the best way to do that? Do you just walk away or do you have a knockdown, drag out, I don't want to talk to you anymore? I think most of us would opt for the just walk away, but we'll see how that conversation goes. I'm going to talk about a couple of experiences uh, from my past with friendships that I had to end and what I learned from those experiences. As an only child, uh, friendships for me were a little different. Uh, growing up in the 70s and 80s, I went to a school across town from where I lived, so it wasn't like my schoolmates and I lived in the same neighborhood. So whenever I wanted to hang out with my friends from school on the weekend, that was always a situation where my mother would have to take me other places. I did make friends with kids in the neighborhood. Um, which my mother encouraged, and I think somewhere along the way she probably wished she hadn't, because most of the kids in my neighborhood were little boys. And so we would play things like flag football and freeze tag and all those things that kids from my generation do outside, kickball, stuff like that. And I would come in the house filthy dirty. My mother would be super upset about it because, you know, she felt like she sent me out in clean clothes. I should come home in clean clothes. I'm not sure how reasonable that was, but that's how she felt about it. Uh, I have a good friend, Dee. We've been friends for about eight years now, and she is an only child, too. And she has this saying that when she first said it cracked me up. But the more I think about it, the more true it is. And she says, you know, 
We're only children. We know how to play well by ourselves. And that is absolutely true. I was one of those kids. My cousins were much older than me. So when we went to family gatherings, in most cases, I was the only kid there. So I would always bring a backpack with my books and my notebooks and my pens or pencils, depending on how old I was. And I would just find a corner and sit and either read or write. I would journal a lot or I would write short stories. And people in my family would kind of look at my parents and sort of lean over and go, is she okay? <laughs> my parents were like, yeah, that, that's just who she is and what she does. And I think for a lot of only children, that's true. We find ways to amuse ourselves because it is just us. So making friends for me was a little more complicated, but I did manage to do that. And about halfway through grade school, probably, I think we became pretty good friends, like fourth grade. Uh, I became really good friends with a girl named LV. And LV and I could not have been more different. Uh, she was half Italian, half Puerto Rican. Um, and she was the oldest of seven kids. So our home lives were radically different and our day lives were radically different as well. But we went to school together and about fourth grade is when I really started to get into music um, besides my parents' music. I grew up listening to a lot of my parents' 45s and my parents loved Soul music was the music that connected my parents together because separately, my mother loved country and my father loved jazz and the blues. So they were super different that way, but soul is what brought them together. So I grew up listening to, you know, Aretha Franklin and Stevie Wonder and The Temptations. That's the kind of music I grew up with when I was very young. So when I started to get into my own music, that's how LV and I bonded uh, initially. Um, she was, I guess, what we would today say goth. Um, I think back in the 80s, we thought of it as more like new wave. Um, and I was much more, I guess pop is a good word. Um, I did the Madonna thing with the hair bows and the fingerless gloves. And I wore the Wham outfits that glowed in the dark. The 80s were all about self-expression. So I did a lot of that, uh, much to my parents' confusement, which is not really a word, but you know what I mean. So LV and I bonded over music, and then we just started bonding over life. She'd tell me about things that were going on in her home life, and I would talk about things that were going on in my home life. And by sixth grade, we really had become best friends. We went to our first uh, concert together. Um, trying to remember what that was. I think it was Depeche Mode. I'm pretty sure that was the first show she and I saw together. And over the years, we saw lots of shows and laughed and cried and did all the things that friends do. Eighth grade, we graduated and we moved on to high school and we went to two different high schools. We both went to Catholic 
all-girl high schools, which was a, a big thing in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, but they were in different places. So we didn't see each other every day, but we still talked, you know, three, four times a week. That's one thing teenage girls do really well is talk. So we talked quite a bit and, and did some hanging out. Um, toward the end of high school, when I got my driver's license, yeah, then it was, we're going to the mall, we're going to the movies, we're going out to dinner, all those things that teenage girls do. Our relationship did change over the course of high school. If I look back on it now and I'm really honest about it, but I didn't think it was a radical change. You know, she was still my best friend and that's how she felt about me. And, and that's where we were. It wasn't until I made the decision to go away to college and away for me meant out of state that I really saw a significant difference. Um, I would call her, you know, a couple times a week. Sometimes she would be home. Sometimes she would not be home, even if we had agreed that we were going to uh, talk at a certain time. And so that started to affect me. And so when I would come home in the summertime, she had made the decision to go straight to work instead of going to college. So when we got together, it was, it, it just felt different. It wasn't something I could articulate at the time. I was like 19 or 20. So I didn't really know what was going on, but I knew things were changing. I believe when I was a junior in college, uh, one of her cousins who she was extremely close to uh, developed AIDS. And so she spent about a year taking care of him. Uh, he was very, very sick. Uh, back in the late 80s, the treatment for AIDS was not nearly as advanced as it is now. So he died after about a year. And she was completely devastated by his death, which I totally understood. And the reality is she was never the same after that. She felt very broken and sad and, and I understood that. So that was part of why our relationship changed, but our relationship also changed. I didn't find out until later because she felt like my going away to college meant that I had abandoned her because she was still in New Jersey and I was off at college in Pennsylvania. I don't know that anything would have been different if I had known that at the time. Um, what that felt like to me when I found out about it was so you wanted me to not live my life because we were friends. Like it was a very confusing thing to hear, but I guess looking back from my perspective, if, uh, sorry, looking back from her perspective, if I had been in her place, I might have felt that too. I'm not sure I would have ever articulated that to my friend because, you know, she then put that burden on me of, okay, well, you left me. So what did you think was going to happen? 
So we were not, uh, as we moved into our 20s, we were not nearly as close as we used to be. Um, but we did still talk and probably when I was 23, 24, she decided she wanted to come to the Maryland DC area, which is where I had moved to and stay with me for a few days and hang out and see the city. And so I scheduled some time off from work, picked her up from the train station. We hung out, had pizza, you know, listened to CDs back when CDs were still a thing. And you know, that felt like old times. And then we moved into where the trouble began. Uh, I had a guy friend whose name was B and he and I met on a, we'd gone on a blind date and realized there was zero chemistry, but we had a lot in common and we made each other laugh. So we became friends. So we were strictly platonic friends. And one day when she and I went out, uh, I had called him and asked if he wanted to join us. So he did. And we all had a good time. I was not really paying attention, I guess, because there was some sort of spark set off with the two of them. And after she left and went back to New Jersey, he called and asked if he could have her number because he wanted to talk to her, see, see if they could date. And I remember my initial reaction was, what? <laughs> but then I thought, okay, I'm not setting these people up. If they like each other and they want to get together, great. So I called and asked her if I had permission to give him her number. She said, yep, that was fine. And then they started dating. And that went okay for a few months. But then she came back to visit and stayed with him. And she called me all in hysterics because she had found long blonde hairs in his bed and she was a brunette. So she knew it wasn't her hair. Uh, the story he told her was he and his brother were roommates and his brother was kind of messy. So his brother's girlfriend had come over and she didn't want to stay in the brother's room because it was kind of a mess. So she took a nap in B's bed. My initial reaction to that was, that sounds ridiculous. You've got to be kidding me. They don't have a couch. Like, come on. But she asked me if I thought it was a plausible story. And I just said, mm, I guess, you know, it, basically what I said is, if you want to believe him, okay, believe him. I you know, this is your relationship. I'm not going to get in between you. I'm not going to give a lot of advice. I'm just going to try to stay out of this. So she did believe him or forgave him or however she rationalized that particular incident. Um, but what I didn't know at the time was he was planting seeds of doubt with her about me saying that, you know, I was uh, the one who put the doubt in her mind and he would never cheat on her. And the reason I would put the doubt in her mind is because I was alone and I wasn't happy. Now, the first part was true. I was alone. I was happily single at that point, but miserable, 
no, not so much. I was dating and when I felt like it and not dating when I didn't feel like it, I was perfectly fine. Um, so that was the beginning of her doubts with me. So fast forward about a year, uh, I met the man who would become my husband, who is my husband and they were still dating and they had decided they wanted to get engaged and get married, you know, move into the next phase of their life. And I didn't say yay or nay. I didn't say, oh, I think this is a terrible idea. I did think it was a terrible idea, but I did not say that because when you're, when you're grown and your friends are grown, you just gotta like smile and nod and understand that it's their life and your role is not to tell them you don't approve or you do approve your role is to be the supportive friend and if things go pear-shaped to be there when they get knocked down so i was really not saying i was i was happy about it or i was unhappy about it i just sort of kept that to myself so she asked me at one point to be a bridesmaid which really didn't sit well with me because we were best friends and you ask your best friend to be your maid of honor that's what you do but that's not what happened she decided that she wanted her sister who was probably eight years younger than her to be her maid of honor because she said her sister had always been there for her even when I wasn't and that really felt like a stab in the neck honestly but I just rolled with it and said okay fine I mean when and where to show up with the dresses all those sorts of things we now move until I guess two or three months before the wedding and I had gone back to New Jersey to visit my mother and I stopped by to see her and see how she was doing. I had not been involved in the wedding plan. She had not called to ask me about dress shopping or party favors or anything like that. So I was just kind of an observer on the outside. And she said she needed to talk to me about something serious. And I had no idea what that was going to be, but I said, mm, sure, let's talk. And what she said in a long roundabout way, the short version is that she couldn't have me in the wedding as a bridesmaid because she knew that I was not happy for them, about them, about them getting married. And she couldn't have somebody stand up with her who didn't support her marriage. And I was just good. I guess a good word is flabbergasted. There's a good word. I was flabbergasted and furious. I was those two things. Because from my perspective, I had not been the crazy unsupportive friend. I had not said, you're going to ruin your life if you marry this idiot because you know he cheated on you and probably still is. I didn't say any of that. I might have thought it, but I did not say it. 
So that really infuriated me. And I told her I was done. She could, you know, basically take her friendship and shove it, that I was finished with the situation. And I walked away. And that was one of the hardest things I have ever had to do. We were friends for about 16 years. So it's very hard to wake up one day and just feel like, okay, I've been assaulted and attacked for, from my perspective, absolutely no reason, not a good reason anyway. And I wasn't going to tolerate that. And I was done. And I have not spoken to her since. I do know that they did get married, but I do not know how the marriage went. I do not know if they ever had any children. I don't know any of that. And so that was, I was 26, 27 at that point. So that was really the first time that I had to put myself first in a, in a friendship and in a situation and walk away. And that was super difficult. So that was the first instance. The second incident instance, sorry, is much more recent. Uh, this happened, the friendship ended a couple of years ago now, and we were friends for even longer. We were friends for almost 20 years. Her name was JF and we met at work. That's where we met. We both worked at the same job. Um, we would hang out and have lunch and all that. So I was the first one to move on from that job and the friendship continued. We get together on weekends, uh, go shopping, sometimes window shopping, sometimes actual shopping, all that sort of thing. Uh, I was married when she and I met, so I had to be 30, 31, something like that. And she was totally single. And over the course of the first couple of years of our relationship, she met her now husband. They got married had a couple of kids, you know, it's all good. My joke with him for a long time was I would pull him aside and say, don't forget I predate you. <laughs> that was just my sense of humor about it, in which he, I won't say he didn't find it funny. I would just say sometimes he would sort of look at me perplexed, like, is she serious? Yeah, I was totally serious. So <laughs> once they had their kids, of course, uh, our relationship changed, the relationship between she and I, and that was totally expected. Um, I know kids are a lot of work, especially little kids. And um, that's like number reason number 345, why my husband and I don't have any, because <laughs> among many other reasons, but I know kids are a handful and a lot of work. So she and I would see each other like, once every two or three months and you know go shopping whatever uh, i thought our relationship would sort of get back to where it had been as her children got older because as they got older they would need her less um and sort of the exact opposite happened her children were always very attached to her uh her she, they had their daughter first and then their son 
and yeah they're they're both super attached to their mom it's like they don't have a lot of confidence that their dad can do the things that their mom can so even when we would go out there would always be phone panicked phone calls from either her husband or one of the kids about something one of the kids needed and where was it and all that type of thing so uh her children unfortunately had to go through the pandemic uh as young children uh, i think her daughter was in like sixth grade sixth seventh grade and the son was in like third or fourth grade so that was super traumatic for them and that made them even more uh dependent on their mother and needy of her and her attention and I was kind of like, okay, this isn't getting better. Maybe it'll get better when the kids are grown. <laughs> I just came to that point and thought, okay, you don't have any kids. You can't, you know, the, the last thing people who have kids want is advice about how to raise their kids from people who don't have any kids. And I totally get that. That's totally fair. So again, it was a situation where I just sort of kept my feelings to myself about it and worked around things. Her daughter and I were always uh, very close, um, especially when she was a very little girl. Uh, my friend always said it was because I was one of the few adults who talked to her daughter like a person and not like a little kid. Um, and that's something I learned from my parents. I never used baby words with her. I never used, you know, ridiculous little nonsense phrases. I always talked to her. I kept the conversation age appropriate, obviously, but you know, she was a person, she was just young. So she gravitated toward me and I really cared about her. She was, um, born prematurely had a whole lot of health problems, was lucky to be here, and she was just a really sweet kid. Her son, that was a whole different situation. He's just kind of, whenever people say boys are different, I think he's exactly who they were talking about. So, you know, we got to the point where her daughter was almost a teenager. She was entering that tween rebellious phase and her son was just a handful. <laughs> we'll say that he was a handful. So she and I would get together for holidays. Um, she was Catholic, her husband was Jewish. And so that was a little tricky with the kids, um, but they would do both holidays and I would you know, get things for the kids or get things for the family, that sort of thing. So about three Christmases ago, I guess, we made this whole plan that I was going to go over to her house. We we're going to exchange gifts. And then she and I were going to go to lunch. And then we come back because the kids had to go. One of them had a holiday party and one of them had Cub Scouts or something like that. So she and her husband would have to divide and conquer. One would have to go to one and one would have to go to the other. Okay, cool. No problem. So it comes the Saturday and uh, I drove over to where she lived, which is about 45 minutes away from where I live. So it's, it's not around the corner. 
And I got to her house and found a big plastic bag with a card on the outside of it with my name on it. You know, plastic bag had gifts in it. And there was a, there was no, it was a Christmas card clearly, but there were no messages, no notes. I hadn't gotten a text message or an email message from her. Um, but there was clearly nobody home. So what I did was I took the gifts that I had for them, left them on her doorstep, picked up the things she had for me and started driving back to my house. Super irritated. So probably about 15 minutes into my drive, I get a phone call from her and she says, are you at our house? And I said, no, just left your house. Uh, I'm on, in the car on the way back. And she said, well, I'm sorry I missed you, but the kids woke up this morning and they were just going at each other. They were just being super crazy. And so a friend of ours called and said there was this uh, opening in this painting class for families. And we decided to take them there so that they didn't kill each other because they were just out of control today. And I was just silent on the other end of the phone until I finally said, okay, but you couldn't call or email and let me know before I drove over here. And her response was, well, I thought this was like, she said her daughter's name. I thought this was like one of her mom's friends where, you know, it's a situation where we make these plans, but if we miss each other and don't get together, like everything's fine. And I said, why would you think that? We've never done that before. So if you do that with your daughter's friends, moms, that's cool, but that's not me. And so again, she apologized uh, for missing me but not for what I felt like was the root of the problem, which was just not just thinking of me as an afterthought. So after I got off that phone conversation, got home and let out a few expletives, we'll call them as my husband listened and just sort of shook his head. I let it sit for a couple of weeks. I didn't call her. She didn't call me. I was still super pissed. But then I got to a point where I said, okay, you know what? The best thing to do in this situation is to talk, like be an adult, be a grown up, have a conversation, let her know how you feel and then see what happens. So I sent her a text message and said, listen, I need to talk to you about something super important. Um, I know we're both busy. We can't, you know, do the drive 45 minutes, but this can't be a text and can't be an email it needs to be face to face. So we need to do FaceTime or zoom or whatever. It doesn't really matter, but I need to talk to you. And I heard nothing for two and a half weeks. And then she sent me a message and said, Oh yeah, you said you wanted to talk to me. I have some time this week. And by that point I was, I was done. I was so frustrated 
that yet again, I was the afterthought and that she didn't understand that I said, I need to talk to you about something important and still let it go for two and a half weeks. So I stopped communicating. That does not mean she stopped communicating with me. Uh, she would send me email. She'd send me birthday cards. Uh, the following Christmas, uh, she sent her husband over to our house with a present. And I just never responded again because I was hurt and I was just done with the situation. So I guess after about a year and a half, she finally got the message that I was not going to communicate and not going to do this anymore. And so again, that was super hurtful and just made me both sad and angry. I was sad because we had been friends for such a long time, but I was angry that she thought treating me that way was okay because it was not okay. And so from those two situations, what I know now that I didn't know at 27 or at 50 is that sometimes people are just not worth the energy. The best thing you can do for you is to pour your energy into positive things in your life. Pour your energy into other friends who actually do the work. What I used to say in college is that I was the 80-20 friend, meaning that I did 80% of the work and the other person did 20% of the work. And I was like that for a very long time. I was very much when people hurt me, turn the other cheek, because that's, that's what you learn in Catholic school and that you forgive people because that's the Christian way. And that's what you do when the truth is you forgive people when they're sincerely sorry and they don't do what they did again. That's when you forgive people. And you're not going to know that until you go through some situations with people. That's when you're going to find out where the rubber meets the road and, and who was, who was true to you, who really cares about you and who could, you know, watch you walk away and couldn't care less. Should you feel bad that that's what you needed to do for you? Absolutely not. And that's the biggest thing that I know now that I didn't know before. I no longer feel bad about either of the ways I handled those situations because I did what was best for me. And sometimes the bottom line is that's what you need to do. What is best for you? So I hope you enjoyed this episode and uh, hearing about my not so happy past with friendships. I hope that if you all ever get to a point that I have been at in either of those situations, 
that you'll do what's best for you too because you have to look out for you and then you can worry about everyone else. So I want to thank everybody for joining me this week. We have episode three in the books. I look forward to seeing you again next week for episode four. Thank you. Take care.